Thanks, brother. Well, good morning. It's great to see you. My name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, really glad you're with us this morning. And we will continue to be praying uh, for all those impacted by Florence and giving and keep you updated on uh, how things are, are going with, uh, in our denomination and churches that are reaching out. But I am glad you're here. However you come into this place this morning, uh, we are in a, our second week of a series that we've titled Supper with Friends, A Study of Meals with Jesus. We are delving mostly into the Gospel of Luke in this series and looking at the different times that Jesus ate meals with people because as Jesus did this, he declared much about himself, about his gospel, and about his kingdom. So we're going to examine the hospitality of Jesus. And as we do so, we're going to behold the beauty, the love, and the grace of Jesus, but we're also going to reflect on our own hospitality and the way in which we love others. And hospitality in, in a large way is something that has become commercialized. In the history of Starbucks, Taylor Clark argues that the secret of Starbucks' success is not in its coffee, but, quote, the pull of the coffee house as a place. Starbucks' strategy to create a hospitable place that brings people together through the social glue of coffee. Starbucks research showed that people wanted a cozy social atmosphere above all else. Uh, for those seeking refuge from the world, the cup of coffee that they bought was just the price of admission to partake of the coffee house scene. Selling hospitality. It's what BU Coffee does so well on Main Street and now opening a second location on Duke's campus. It's what Coco Cinnamon has done a place where all of Durham is welcome. It's what Pony Source has tried to create and foster. It's what co-working spaces like American Underground have created, a place to belong. The commercialization of hospitality is not all bad, but in the past, ordinary households were the ones who opened their homes and welcomed the stranger and welcomed those in need. In the medieval period, 5th to 15th century, Monasteries provided resting places for travelers. They cared for the ill and the sick. You know, that's where, we, that's where we get the word hospital from. We get the word hospital from their hospitality to the sick and to the poor, to the marginalized. Christians in Egypt during the third century were the epitome of this picture of hospitality. A terrible plague overwhelmed uh, the famous city of Alexandria. And according to Dionysius the Great, it was the followers of Christ who had compassion on the sick, even at the cost of their own life. Uh, historian Rodney Stark, in his book, The Rise of Christianity, uh, the book has this subtitle, which I've always loved, how the obscure marginal Jesus movement became the dominant religious force in the Western world in a few centuries. That's the subtitle. I love it. But this is what Stark wrote about the third century Christians. Most of our brother and sister Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them departed this life serenely happy. Many in nursing and curing others transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead. The heathen behaved in the very opposite way. At the first onset of the disease, they pushed the sufferers away and fled from their dearest. Hospitality. Yes, it's opening our homes, but more so it's opening our hearts. 
to love and care for those in need, to love and care for those others are scared to embrace. This has been the historical mark of Christians, a loving embrace and care for those that others viewed as untouchable, unwanted. And what led to this remarkable hospitality? And more pertinent, what will lead us to have this kind of remarkable hospitality? I think it's fairly simple. Sure, there are many reasons, but I think our passage this morning simply lets us know that forgiveness will lead to this type of hospitality. Forgiveness, someone who knows their own brokenness and sin and then experiences the welcome embrace, the hospitality of a forgiving savior is a person who will live a life of loving hospitality. Put it another way, a life of hospitality to embrace and welcome others especially those that others view as untouchable, unwanted, on the margins, is the grateful response of a confessing sinner who's experienced the deep love and forgiveness of a Savior. We'll see this morning the one who is forgiven much loves much. So I'm going to ask you to stand as we look at Luke 7, 36 to 50. says God's word to us this morning. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. And then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Isaiah tells us the grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Let's pray. Lord God, would you speak to us this morning? Would we behold a welcoming, loving, gracious God who longs to embrace us and to pour out grace upon grace to us. Pray we would see Jesus clearly. I pray you would lead us to encounter you. I pray that the Holy Spirit would, through the word of God, speak to each of our spirits that we might be changed. I do pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you. Bless your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You have a seat.
Well, in our passage that was just read in Luke 7, we have three people. We have a host, a guest, and a party crasher. Host, a guest, and a party crasher. So let's look first at the host. In verse 36, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and Jesus went to his house. Now, just before our passage in Luke 7, verse 34, we read of Jesus' reputation. Jesus' reputation, was no, he was known as a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So Simon the Pharisee is genuinely interested in Jesus. He wants to know, know more and inquire more about Jesus. He, he's braving the scorn of other Pharisees, those who are in his social class. He's braving the scorn of his own family by inviting this man Jesus into his home. So he hosts this banquet, and the doors of the home would be open, and many homes during this time would have a courtyard, and, and so the doors would be open so that the public could walk by and hear and listen and, 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 and behold what was happening at the dinner. And inside, everyone would gather around the table. They would gather on three sides, leaving one side open for the food to be served. And each person would be reclining at the table on their elbow, shoes off, feet away from the table. So that's the, this is the picture of what's happening. And in verse 37, a woman of the city who's a sinner enters this banquet. She falls down at Jesus' feet, weeping and kissing. Now, many think that this woman is probably a prostitute. We don't know that for certain. It's a good possibility. We do know that she's known in the city as a sinner. So she's a social outcast. She's impure, defiled, marginalized. In verse 39, Simon says, if this man were a prophet, he would know who this woman is who's touching him. Simon's invited Jesus into his home to get to know him. Now, this sinful woman has intruded and interrupted his party and has done this socially unacceptable act of weeping and kissing his feet. And, and so now Simon judges Jesus with disdain and he judges this woman with disdain. Simon's attitude in response is one of scorn and contempt. His attitude towards Jesus and this woman really exposes his heart. And that's true for every single one of us. That our reactions to people Reveal our truest heart. Reveal our truest self. Problem people, emotional people, difficult people. Our reaction and response to them says more about our hearts than it does about them. Scorn and contempt. A look of disdain on people declares more about us than anything. Do you look down on someone because they're disorganized? Or do you look down on someone because they're smelly or emotional or jobless or socially awkward? Do you look down on people who don't hold your political view? Do you look down on people that don't do the Christian life the way you think they should? Do you look down on people because they don't get grace the way you get grace? If you're thinking right now, man, this is really good. For them over there, I hope, I hope they hear this. You're like Simon. And too often we can be like Simon. We can judge people that don't meet our personal norm. We can judge people that don't meet the social norm of our life. We can judge people that don't meet the religious and church norm. Kent Hughes said that Simon had an Arctic heart, a permafrost of the soul. 
He lacked love, full of contempt and judgment. So let me just say here that one of the beautiful things, one of the great things about eating a meal with someone, being hospitable and having people around your table is that it creates real relationships, real interactions with real people. And you cannot protect yourself at a table with someone. You're going to interact with them. You're going to have conversations with them. There's going to be ways of eating. There'll be manners or lack of manners. And in all of this interaction, we're going to be constantly responding and reacting to one another. Our hearts are going to be revealed. Being at table with a wide array of people will reveal our heart. So let me just add here that I think the test of our community, Christ Central Church, is revealed by how we can be together in our differences and not judge, but rather be united in love. This is the host. Let's look secondly at the guest. Jesus, right, it's the guest at Simon's dinner party. He accepts this Pharisee's invitation, which to me shows the wide reach of God's grace to all people. Right? Jesus is willing to eat with anyone, even a Pharisee who shows themselves all throughout Scripture to love a religious system more than loving God as revealed in the person of Jesus. But Jesus accepts the invitation because he'll eat with anyone and enters this woman of the city. And Jesus' love and grace extends to her. She's captivated by the person of Jesus. And as she falls down, she can't make it to the to the face of Jesus, she falls down at his feet, verse 38, standing behind him, weeping. She's wetting his feet with her tears, kissing his feet. She takes this expensive jar of alabaster perfume. She breaks it over his feet and anoints him with it. This is a scandalous and intimate encounter. In the ancient Near East, women did not let their hair down in the public. This was a private act done in the bedroom. She lets her hair down and she begins to kiss the feet of Jesus. Those in attendance had to be wondering, is Jesus one of her customers? And Jesus doesn't stop her. Jesus doesn't say, no, 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 woman. This is much too intimate. Please get up off the floor. You're embarrassing yourself and, and you're embarrassing me. No. Jesus in his passivity allows this woman to be very intimate with him taking the scornful look of the Pharisees and identifying himself with this woman. What could be taken as an erotic act, Jesus knows is an intimate and rightful act of love. He's not just okay with the acts of this woman. Jesus takes delight in her. And he joyfully identifies himself with her in his passivity. And this is what our Savior does that he connects his identity with you and with me. No matter your sin, no matter your struggle, no matter your sense of feeling like a failure, no matter your sense of feeling unworthy, Jesus says, I'm with you. I belong to people like you. I've always loved how the gospel of Matthew opens with Jesus's family tree, the genealogy of Jesus, this family tree filled with prostitutes and murderers and fear mongers and the poor and the least of these. This is who Jesus identifies with. This is who Jesus says are my people. Jesus knows you. He knows your struggles. He knows your sins and he welcomes you to come as you are. 
Now, verses 40 to 43 tell us if we'll come to Jesus or not. Verses 40 to 43 tells us why anybody comes to Jesus. Look with me at verse 40. Jesus answers Simon, which I'm sure shocked Simon because the text tells us Simon didn't say this out loud. He said it to himself, but Jesus responds to Simon. I've always loved that because that's what Jesus does to us in our questions. He responds. He knows your questions. And he wants to respond. He wants to engage with you. And so Jesus responds to Simon and says, here's a scenario, Simon. There's a 500 denarii debtor and a 50 denarii debtor. Money lender decides to erase the debt of both. Who do you think will love more? And Simon replies, I suppose the one with a 500 denarii debt. And Jesus says, you have judged rightly. You see, the one who comes to Jesus is the person who knows they need to be forgiven. It is the person who knows that they don't have it together. It's the person who knows their sin. And they come to Jesus not with pretense, not with judgment, but with speed and with joy. Because they know in Christ there is forgiveness. Our staff team has started using this communication platform called Slack, which is very new to me, but it's been around for a long time. Uh, so I, we, we've tried to implement this with our staff team as a way to up our communication. And Aaron posted to kind of get all of our staff uh, connecting on it. Everybody share your favorite book of the Bible and your favorite color. So people started chiming in. Proverbs, James, Psalms. And, and Timothy said Harry Potter. Literally, not sure what that means for him or for you since he's one of your pastors. I think Timothy thought it said, what's your favorite book? And he throws out Harry Potter. Had to remind him that's not in the Bible. Uh, and then favorite color, blue, green. Everybody's throwing out colors. Marvin says black, white, and gray because I'm colorblind. Right. Color blindness, this inability to see color. I think every single one of us here suffers with a varying degree of spiritual blindness, an inability, or I would say oftentimes an unwillingness to see our own spiritual condition clearly. Because every single one of us are in need. The, the, the field is level. All of us are broken. All of us sinful in thought, word, and deed. There is nobody here Surprise that has their life perfectly together. Romans tells us there's no one righteous, no, not one. We all are broken. There's two different responses to Jesus in Luke 7. There's this extravagant, intimate worship, and there's this scornful contempt. Your response will depend on your willingness to see your own need for forgiveness and then have a Savior meet you forgive you, accept you, and identify with you. Let's look lastly at the party crasher. We've already seen that this woman of the city enters this party uninvited. She's outside the circle of privilege. Right? She's on the margins of society, and she interrupts this party with extravagant and expressive love towards Jesus. Now, she knew this was risky. She knew the looks would come, she knew the whispers would start. Who does this woman think she is? She's dirty. She's sinful. She's a whore. How dare she come into this party? But this woman is brave and courageous and strong. 
and she disregards the looks and the murmurs of those who hold the power. Why? Because she knows who Jesus is. She knows that Jesus is reclining at this table. Can you imagine a dinner party where a church leader is also a city council member here in Durham and they invite a visitor to be a guest? And this dinner's being enjoyed and in walks this woman in a tight, short dress and stiletto heels, makeup to the nines, probably one too many drinks. She goes up to the visitor and she says, I'm yours. You have all of me. She hugs him. She massages his shoulders. She starts crying. And he doesn't push her away. But he mumbles, you're mine. And everyone looks at her with judgment and scorn. Who does she think she is? How disgraceful. But this woman of the city in Luke 7, she couldn't help but express her love for Jesus because he had loved her to the depth of who she was. He knew her. He knew her more than she knew herself, and he forgave her and welcomed her. And as a result, the party crasher becomes the host. The party crasher becomes the proper host. Look at verse 44. Jesus turns towards the woman and says to Simon, look at her, Simon. I entered your house. You're the host, and you gave me no water from my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with your, her hair. I entered your house, but you gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. I entered your house, and you didn't anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with oil. You hear that? You were the host, but she has been the host. You didn't offer the simple courtesy, but this party crasher has gone above and beyond. And the reason is because she's been deeply loved by Jesus, forgiven. Now, verse 47, it could seem confusing that her sins are forgiven because she loved much, for she loved much. And some people have tried to say that this is saying that because she loved, she's forgiven. Let me just say that's not what it's saying. Her receiving forgiveness is revealed by her extravagant love. The order of this is very important. It is forgiveness first, love follows. We do not love in order to be forgiven. We are forgiven, and to the degree in which we've been forgiven, we will love unto that degree. We see this affirmed in verse 50 when Jesus says, your faith has saved you. Not your love, but your faith in Jesus has saved you. Go in peace. Literally means go into peace. Walk into peace. Peace. Walk into your new identity. Her identity used to be wrapped up in what she did for a living and who she was around, but now she meets Jesus. And she breaks this incredibly expensive jar of perfume. It was, it was a lavish gift because of its cost, but it, it was more than that. And her breaking this alabaster jar of perfume, she was relinquishing her former life. And she's finding a new identity. This jar of perfume was the only thing that gave her power. Its smell and its fragrance drew men to her. Now she's giving it all up because she's no longer defined by other people loving her. She's no longer defined by men loving her. She's defined by the love of Christ. Not defined by what she's done, but she's defined by what her Savior has done for her. 
The transfer of party crasher to host happens when we understand the great love and grace of Jesus, that he not only forgives us, but he gives us a new identity of being in Christ to walk into our newfound identity. Hospitality will flow from us when we experience this hospitality of God to us in Jesus. And it will produce two things, two things in us. The first is an extravagant welcome and love of Jesus. When we understand this, it will cause us to be extravagant in our love to Jesus. That when you come in here on a Sunday morning, your singing is filled with passion. And when you pray to God, your prayer is filled with affection. And when you say you're sorry for your sin, it's a confession filled with contrition. And when you give your money, time, and talent, it's giving filled with joy and gratitude. We are to be a people of extravagant love towards Jesus. Second thing that it will do in us is it will produce a scandalous welcome and love of those who others view as untouchable or marginalized. You get that this is who Jesus loves. He loves those who are left out, pushed out, pushed down, marginalized, voiceless, criticized. This is who Jesus spent his time with. Read the scriptures. This is who he goes after. Scandalous life of Jesus. How are you doing in living a scandalous life? Do you love people that no one else will? Do you reach out and stand up for those on the margins? It'll cost you. It's risky. Friends and family and neighbors might find you a little bit out there, a little odd if you do. One of my heroes is Henry Nouwen. Nouwen was a brilliant man. He taught theology at Notre Dame and Yale. He turned down a tenured teaching post to go work and serve at La Arche, community founded by John Veneer, this community for the differently abled. And many thought Nowen was kind of out there. It was scandalous for him to leave his teaching post and go to this community, a community at the time that many pushed to the margins of society. And Nowen found that serving and working at La Arche taught him more about Jesus than any school of theology. His last 10 years, this was his testimony. And I've found it to be true in my life. Maybe you have, if you've ever done this. When I've been willing to engage with those who are pushed away and pushed out. When I have been in Malawi, Africa and spent time at an orphanage. When I've been in China at a school for the disabled. When I've spent time with the homeless or the refugee. When I've befriended the person left out of the group. That I always come away being taught and minister to and loved towards Jesus. When Jesus compels you to reach out to those on the margins, what might happen is that you might just find more of Jesus, more of God's presence in those places. You might just find yourself face to face with the love of God and find yourself embraced and welcomed when you thought you were the one embracing and welcoming. And as God meets and pours out his grace and love, it compels us to live lives of scandal, scandalous in who we spend our time with, scandalous in how we spend our time, scandalous in how we spend our money and where we spend our money. We're not just scandalous for scandalous sake. We're not just going to be odd to be odd. 
we reach out and we love and we're hospitable to those who others view as untouchable, unwanted, left out because Jesus reached out into our sickness and was hospitable. He loved us and he gave his life so that you and I could have new identity of being in him. We cannot allow hospitality to be commercialized only. It is our calling card. It is what Christians have always been known for. May it be what we're known for. We've been forgiven much. Let's go love much. Let's pray. Lord, I do ask that you would help us to behold how high and wide and deep is the love of Christ, the welcoming, the, the invitation to come just as we are, to be met by a Savior that lived and died and rose so that we could be in him. Lord, I know that this morning there are people here that feel like they're Simon, judging and critiquing everything, looking on, and there are others that know the greatness of your grace and want to respond joyfully, and, and we know, Jesus, that you're here. You're with us. You've been with us, and as we come to this table, you're the host of this meal. So I pray that you would feed us, renew us, and strengthen us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.